on Tech News Today. It's coming up. Coming up on Tech News Today, LinkedIn goes IPO and closes high. But will that price slip and slide? Apple's cloud service is getting closer, but they also have malware and may not want to help you fix it. Facial recognition is scary. And Kindle books. All that more coming up. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Tech News Today is provided by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Tech News Today for Thursday, May 19th, 2011. Tech News Today is brought to you by Slingbox, which just turned your iPad into a television. Slingbox introduces their new iPad app, so you can now watch your home TV on your iPad anywhere you take it. Check it out at Best Buy or slingbox.com slash twit. Welcome to Tech News Today. I'm Sarah Lane. I'm Ayaz Akhtar. I'm Jason Howell. This is the show where we, we kick the tech news oh, right oh, in the smacker that. and say... Get out of here. Well, first we explain it. First yeah, we stick, explain. Or, stick around long enough for us to talk about you and then get, we'll and kick then you. get out of here. When we're done with you, you won't know what. Now nah, we just kind of talk about tech news. We try yeah. to make sense of all of these stories that we all read every day. What's important? What's wrong? What's right? And joining us today is Randall Bennett, who's been on the show before. Randall, so nice to have you back. Thanks for being here. Thanks. Good to be back. I'm excited to be here. Uh, we're excited to have you. I know that you've got uh, a new project that you're working on called Vidpresso. Excited to hear yep. about that a little bit later in the show. And awesome. uh, you also described yourself as a jack of all trades. So as far as tech goes, that's the right way to be. Exactly. So let's just get into oh this little story. Um, there's this there's this company you may or may not have heard of it. It's called LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. uh, I use it. Uh, you've probably never heard of it. It's very indie. Uh, well, they went IPO today, and there was you know a, a slight bit of buzz. I'm kidding, of course. Uh, the LinkedIn IPO was easily the biggest story of the day, um, and they opened to great fanfare. That's right. LinkedIn, they originally wanted to price their IPO at $45 a share. It jumped up as high as $122.70 and closed at $94.25, which means its market capitalization is $8.9 billion wow. after one day of, of trading on the market. Uh, hmm. This is LinkedIn made $350 million in gross proceeds for itself because obviously they sold it at that low price. And then all day, I'm sure a bunch of people were trying to make money just within the day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you think about that, that's pretty crazy. If you put money in when the market opened, you double your return in one day. I think the problem with that LinkedIn, I mean, LinkedIn is really the first big consumerish dot com stock since the bubble burst. You know, we've had Google, we've had Netflix, OpenTable, a handful of others. But I think a lot of people were looking to LinkedIn and saying, okay, this is the first social networking IPO. Like, what's that mean for Facebook? What does that mean for other companies? And I think that this honestly sets sort of a a cautionary uh, precedent. I think a lot of people, but even before LinkedIn was out, people were saying, oh, $45 a share, it's a bubble. Um, that was only about 10x earnings, which mean, that means it's pretty normal. Like that means it's in a pretty normal range. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, we've set a whole new world of expectations. I would not be surprised if in the next, uh, you know, week or two, like things level off a little bit, cooler heads prevail. And I kind of hope so, so that, you know, when Facebook goes for an IPO, it's not bubbled, you know, maybe yeah, a hundred billion value. Exactly. Well, no, right? I mean, if, if this is at 8.9, then we figured out that Facebook must be something about 720 quadrillion, right? <laughs> 
Because if LinkedIn, which only has like 100 million users, and they, they, they claim they get about a million users a week, that's a lot of people. Facebook has 640 million people. Right. Like everybody uses it. To a lot of people, when Facebook is not accessible, the internet is down to them. They're like, this is not working. But, well, okay, so here's the, talking about the, you know, I mean, everyone's using this word bubble. We're in a bubble. Look at LinkedIn. It's like, there. I mean, there are a variety of reasons. There there aren't that many big tech company IPOs these days. So, mm -hmm. or, or at least we're, we're getting back into some sort of a phase. Exactly. LinkedIn has been around for a while. I mean, we probably all have accounts. Um, like I have said, they've got about 100 million users, but they do claim to be adding around a million new members every week. That's good growth, you know, well, a million people a week. And it kind of, in a way, I, I think about it, I, I, I've had my resume exclusively on LinkedIn for years now. I don't even have a resume anywhere else. That's kind of what I use it for. Anytime I change jobs or, or add a position or, you know, some sort of a, a title change, I'll go in and make sure LinkedIn is updated. And that's kind of how I can, I can browse other people's work experience and, and what they're doing now type of a thing. But I mean, I'm not using it on a daily basis. No. The thing, the thing to keep in mind, though, with an IPO, this is a positive thing for one specific reason. They have real revenues. Mm -hmm. um, if they didn't have real revenues, you know, this would be bubble 2.0. LinkedIn's been around for 10 years. This is, you know, approximately 10 years. Uh, they were, you know, they started back in, I think it was 2001 or 2002, around the same time as like Plaxo and those Friendster and those other sort of first wave of social networks. And so the fact that they've waited so long to go public, I mean, Facebook's in a similar boat. Facebook could have gone public years ago. I think this sort of speaks to the idea that, you know, real businesses are emerging. IPOs might you know, make the general public aware that you know, technology is back. I kind of think this is a good thing for anyone in the startup community, especially, but for technology in general, I think this will attract a lot of people to, you know, try new things. They think that there's a shot that they could be a gigantic company one day. You know, maybe they'll try some new things. So I, I think in general, for like a regular everyday person who maybe uses LinkedIn when they lose their job or, you know, to do some research on another company, um, you know, the, the real thing here is, you know, there's, there's a world outside of LinkedIn that this speaks to. Yeah, that and just because we don't use LinkedIn on a day to day basis doesn't mean that companies aren't. Half right. of their revenue comes from companies looking to hire, and that information to, to these companies is worth a lot of money. Uh, the other 30% comes from advertising revenue, and only 20% comes from premium services for people like us. So that's, they still offer free stuff, but it's the companies who are really making up 50% of their revenues. So that's probably well, why they're, they're really. They're that's something. actually probably why, I mean, they've got a strong ad model because. They're not looking for people like us to start ponying up money necessarily. I mean, that's not yeah. where the bulk of their revenues are coming from anyway. And on top yeah, of that, products, oh, sorry, I just go ahead. Oh, on top of that, they're really targeted, right? It's all about business. It's not like Facebook where you have a bunch of groups that are all kind of fractured. You could be talking about ketchup on one page or you could talk about Twit on another. Mm -hmm. In LinkedIn, you know exactly what you're getting. So they can be really targeted in a, in a way that no other site can be. And the products for individual users, I figure, are kind of lame right now. I mean, really, do I really want to pay someone to send email? That's essentially what their premium subscription offering is. They have one where you can pay to send an in-mail. Right. You can pay to, like, find... I've never understood that either. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that those are sort of the early business models. And as they've realized, as they hit this sort of critical mass where they have, you know, a million new users a week, um, companies are realizing that they can get, you know, they can target people and create, uh, you know, one of the products that they're offering to these companies is a way to create a job that doesn't exist, basically a dream job for someone, and say, hey, do you want this job? And if they say yes, then they sort of facilitate that transaction. Um, but if they don't, you know, they just, the company pays LinkedIn money and, you know, people who use LinkedIn are none the wiser. So I think like 
having that focus on businesses is where they've seen the most growth. And I don't expect like them to start charging regular consumers anytime. That so, said, I mean, at least good products. <laughs> closing at $94 a share. Oh, I mean, good. I'm worried. What's, what's going to be like, it, let's, I mean, let's, it's like, talk to me in 30 days, right? right. Yeah, after exactly. market share, after market, the, uh, they, they've lost like a percent or two. So tomorrow yeah, might right. open a little less, but nothing major has happened yet. Yeah. A month will know, like, I mean, this is a, a good sign for the health of technology, but like you say, Sarah, you're totally right that in a month, we'll really know what this actually means. Right. And and it, it will definitely set a precedent for companies who are already planning to go IPO or maybe, you know, just kind of seeing how the how the market's going to shake out. All right. Moving on to Apple. Uh, Apple, we've talked a lot about will they or won't they launch cloud services, maybe at WWDC, what's going on behind the scenes. Well, it sounds like uh, they have been in negotiations with the big labels in order to get licensing agreements, and they just signed EMI, which right. is which is one of the big guys, isn't it? Right. CNET was reporting that EMI is signed with Apple for cloud service and cloud music streaming. On top of that, they've already reported that Warner Music Group is already a part of this, which means there's two more companies left, Sony and Universal, and apparently Apple's very active in negotiations with them as well. Which is crazy because if you look at Amazon and Google, they went ahead and launched their cloud locker services. And now Apple's got their uh, wacky idea of trying to work with the music industry and have streaming rights that these other guys haven't. So they haven't just looked at the Apple hasn't used the example of Apple of, of uh, Amazon and Google and said, the heck with you guys. Mm -hmm. They've decided to work with these these companies and this could really set them apart. There's a, there's a big peg here that I think we're you know, that might not be immediately apparent iTunes. You know, they have had to have these relationships with the music industry before. Mm -hmm. Amazon has the MP3 store, but no, I mean, Amazon MP3 store just isn't that big of a market for the labels and it isn't that big of a market for Amazon itself. Um, Apple, iTunes is still big and Apple had a lot to lose if they just went out. You know, if the label has just said, okay, next time the license comes up for renewal, no thank you. I mean, that would be huge and kind of crazy. So Apple, I think more or less had to negotiate this licensing right, which, you know, I, I'm not even of the opinion that there, that you need to have a license to stream music which you've already purchased. Like, I, I just that sounds insane to me. But regardless, you know, uh, they they definitely had to do this for a business reason. And from a technical standpoint, they don't have to necessarily keep separate copies for every user, which theoretically would allow them to do this. Like that's what Amazon's trying to do, and that's what Google's trying to do. And this yeah. uh, Apple service is supposed to differ because it has a scan and match. So you're not necessarily uploading everything. I know Jason, you were trying to upload all your Google Music and. That could take a long time. <laughs> it's still going, and I've been uploading. But, you know, mind you, <laughs> I don't blame Google service, servers, by the way, or the service at all. I totally blame my horrible Internet upload yeah. speed. Right, yeah. I mean, it's times. really bad, but it's a huge library. They allow you to lo upload up to 20,000 songs. But you no do matter, have to upload. Yeah, you do have to yeah. upload it. They aren't syncing, you know, based on file name or, or anything like that. It all has to be transferred over. That and ISPs usually scream, here's our download number, but they sometimes don't show you that their upload's like 768 <laughs> max. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so the, the idea would be that Apple would have the ability to scan, you know, like the yeah. first part of a song and say, well, oh, yeah, we, we've got this song. And then you could go ahead and start streaming it. Potentially. Or if you're a big, big iTunes user, just say, all right, these are all the songs that you've bought through iTunes over the years. You don't need to, you know, that's all you need. We'll, well let you stream these from here going forward. For people who are looking for this right now, uh, I use a service called RDO. And RDO has a desktop client which already scans your iTunes library for just the artist and track name, and then it'll just add those to your collection on RDO. Now, granted, RDO is five bucks a month, but honestly, like, I don't even find these locker services that appealing. I mean, the, the, the most interesting part of this is that patent that Sarah briefly mentioned where, you know, they might, they might uh, you know, 
have each of the first uh, 10 seconds of each song already stored on your device and then uh, start streaming as soon as after that plays. You know, I mean, that to me is like an interesting technical feat, but like, I don't want to store music. I just want to pay five bucks a month and listen to every song ever, you yeah. know? To be clear, uh, patently Apple actually found an Apple patent that explained how they were going to, how Apple might do their streaming service, whereby you would have on your device the initial part of each song or, or media file, and then you would fill in the rest by streaming. So you'd never have this weird buffering issue when you'd skip from song to song. So, th I mean, these two things, if, you, if Apple actually has the music industry on its side and they don't have any weird buffering issues, that's going to set them apart from their competitors right Definitely. away. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's the best cloud service, but like, I still think cloud services are, I mean, these cloud locker uh, things, I think they're kind of lame. I don't know. Well, but then you also admit to being a big audio fan. So you, it's I true. mean, you're kind of like me where I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with streaming services. There's a lot yeah. less emphasis in my life on actually buying music and then being able to access it in a variety of places. Um, I'd kind of rather pay a you know monthly fee to stream, but it all depends on what people. If you, I guess if you have a huge library, that's going to appeal to you. Mm -hmm. But then you have kind of Jason's problem where you're like, well, I guess I can listen to it in like five years when it's done uploading. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming <laughs> next week sometime my wow, entire no library is going to be there. So it'll be about two and a half weeks to upload everything. The good thing, though, there is, you know, once that's done, it's done. It's all synced up there. Um, so I don't really care going forward. My music's accessible. Well, in any case, obviously, Apple's acquisition of Lala makes more sense than ever. Lala, as we, we've kind of speculated, exactly. gosh, were yeah. they just sort of like flying under the radar the whole time because <laughs> they were enough. doing this exact thing? Apple said, let's just scoop you up, shut you down, get some agreements going, and they're about ready to launch again. I'd, I'd love for this to be uh, the big announcement at WWDC uh, that remains to be seen, but... Um, it sounds like, in any case, they're getting really close. I think I already know the answer to this question, uh, but I'll ask it anyways. You think their uh, their streaming cloud service, if and when it ever comes about, will work with things other than iPhones and iPods? That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Uh, as long funny. as it's a MacBook. Or... <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> iPod Touch. Uh, yeah, or an iPad. <laughs> probably work These with. Devices. Yeah. Yeah. What other devices would you need? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. true. I, that's a stupid I'd, question. I don't. Yeah. Some sort of old book. Yeah. All right, moving on to AT&T possibly overcharging people like me, iPhone and iPad data users, and overcharging quite a bit, uh, allegedly, up to 300% in some cases. Right, there's a class action lawsuit against AT&T, and, and it claims that AT&T routinely overcharges for data used by iPhone users and iPad users, and this is like on their 3G connection, obviously. Now, it, it's, the headlines are screaming 300%. They could be inaccurate. The, the normal things is usually around 7 to 14% of an overcharge. MSNBC is reporting that, get this, the lawyers are the good guys, and they claim they did research for months and spent $80,000 trying to find out, well, if this was true. And it turns out they have a class action lawsuit. The, the weird thing, though, is that a while ago in April, uh, the Supreme Court already ruled for AT&T in the case that class action lawsuits, if, if it's in their contract, uh, they wouldn't be allowed. You'd have to do this via arbitration. arbitration. So I'm not really sure how this class action lawsuit will continue, but that's the case right now. And AT&T, uh, they haven't said anything yet if they are like looking into this or what's going on. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, whenever I hear class action lawsuit, my kind of like, I, I get this feeling of like patent trolls. And I think of these people who are lawyers who are trying to like make money from the system. And it's not that I think AT&T is not you know, at fault, 
But when they say they spent $80,000 doing research, does that mean they spent $80,000 paying themselves to do research? I mean, like... Yeah, really. Know, I mean, this, uh, isn't, this isn't someone, you know, the four of us get together and start saying, let's start analyzing our data usage. Let's throw about 80K into analyzing our data usage and see if we're getting screwed. Yeah, I mean, let's this start isn't with like, some sandwiches. These aren't average and, uh, AT&T customers. These are, yeah. these are people with That's an agenda. One well, exactly. Yeah, and I think that is, if you keep that in perspective, like, of course, AT&T could... You know, theoretically be charging and then a class action lawsuit or arbitration could actually you know be the little guy's friend but i i have a hard, like in this kind of age of litigation with you know lawyers kind of acting in their own self-interest more than you know but like chest bumping like oh no i'm doing this for the common man i'm doing this for the everyday inventor like mm -hmm. i just have an instant feeling of like uh, are you sure like you know prove to me that at&t is sketchy give me data fig like show me rather than promising me that it's 300%, you know? I don't know. Actually, there is an update. AT&T released a statement saying, accurate billing is clearly important, and unfortunately, there have been some incorrect claims about our data usage billing practices. We properly bill for all data that our customers send and receive, including data activity. And it just kind of goes on saying. So they're saying there may be discrepancies we obviously didn't mean to, right. and we'll look into it type of thing. So there's... Stop you know, that's a, I love the sensational people being overcharged 300%. I mean, 300%, it's like, of course you would notice that. Right. Uh, 7%, I mean, how do you even gauge? Yeah, I mean, and how do you say, like, you know, what is legitimate usage? What is not legitimate usage? How do you, like, how did their $80,000 go to figuring out, like, were they connected to some, like, AT&T microsite and they were, like, you know, checking the data as it went through? I mean, how do you actually, like, know what's legitimate and what's not? They claimed that they had like turned off all all data services effectively, and they were seeing charges. So that was the weird thing. Yeah. Like if you're turning off, your, I mean, they didn't say they turned off the phones, but they turned off yeah. some services, which means that the phones are transmitting data back and forth, even if you're not aware that it's doing it. Yeah, I mean, but that's I think I don't know how AT&T is billing for that. But, you know, text messages were originally invented in just the traffic between a cell phone and the tower. So like basically, the cell phone would say like, "Where are you at, tower?" And during that um, interchange, you could exchange a text message. That's why they had to be so small. So I mean, like, you know, cell phones have to talk to the towers, obviously. I wonder, you know, is, I just have too many questions, I guess, that really none of us can answer, like, to, to really legitimize these claims. Yeah. Well, hopefully AT&T, I mean, obviously they've just now, during our show, put out some sort of a initial statement and hopefully um, they can uh, shed a little bit more light, at least on their end, of what happened, if it indeed was intentional, I'm sure. They won't ever say it was intentional. It was, <laughs> but uh, get a little better of an idea of what exactly is going on here and who is at fault. Uh, we have a lot more to discuss, including malware on Apple. I didn't even think it was possible. Uh, just kidding. But uh, but first, let's thank Slingbox for sponsoring this episode of TNT. Slingbox is great. If you're not familiar with them, it is the way to watch your favorite shows. Anything that you would watch in your living room or your bedroom or anywhere that you've got your nice home theater set up with you on the go, on your on your Mac, on your PC, on your iPad, for example. Yeah, Slingbox has an iPad app. It is slick. Uh, Leo loves it. Oh, man, he takes it everywhere. He's, he's always talking about taking his iPad app to a Giants game because he wants to he wants to watch instant replays that you can't get when you're in the theater. Let's say that you do a lot of traveling and you 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 like your shows, you know, you want to watch your DVR shows on your own time. Slingbox works with anything that you can watch whether it's live TV uh, through your through your cable network or any of your DVR shows. I mean, it is amazing. 
It's like packing up your living room and taking it with you on the go. Uh, you can watch your home TV on your iPad or on a computer. Anywhere that you can get an internet connection, you can access your Slingbox. If you want to know more, you can find Slingbox or see a demo at Best Buy or check it out. They've got a lot, a lot of nice instructional videos and uh, good information at Slingbox.com. Slingbox and your home TV now appearing on iPads everywhere. It's good stuff. All right, Ayaz, uh, malware on my Mac. I didn't think that that happened. That's what a lot of people think. And then, I mean, no, it's impossible. It's, yeah, because it's a it's, Mac, it's, uh, right? it's actually impossible. That's why I have a Mac, because <laughs> yeah. I don't like things like malware and joking. viruses. People are going to take you seriously. I know, joking, I know. joking, joking. All, right, so all joking aside, what's going on here? Yeah, malware can be on Macs, and we've talked about the, um, the Mac Defender scare, where pretty much uh, you'll see something pop up on your browser saying your Mac's infected and download this piece of software mm -hmm. called Mac Defender. Give it, you know, you have to you have to install it and everything. You still have to do a lot of things to make it run on your system. Uh, but it turns out that Apple, Apple's internal Apple Care docs talking about Mac Defender say that uh, they pretty much don't want to they don't want you to remove the malware. Or they they say do not attempt to remove the malware. They have four important points for the customer care representatives to say. Do not confirm or deny that such software has been installed. Do not attempt to remove or uninstall any malware software. Do not send any escalations or contact Tier 2 for support about removing the software or provide impact data. Do not refer customers to the Apple retail store. The ARS does not provide any additional support for malware. So Apple doesn't have, a, like I guess, a unit in place to deal with malware because, well, really, it wasn't that big a problem for a while. Sure. It's been a larger uh, scaling of this problem in the past couple of, I guess, months, actually. Randall, yeah. do you see this as Apple just not really knowing what steps to take when customer service issues come in about this sort of thing? That seems out of character for them. I mean, <clears throat> they've seen, of course, they advertised against the fact that Windows PCs got malware for years. And as their market share is going up, they're going to be more attractive for malware purveyors. So I think they've probably been thinking about this a little bit. My take, which is completely speculation to be clear, um, you know, it sounds crazy, but I think they want to actually test systems against the malware, uh, you know, like come up with a security patch, push out the patch and have that eliminate the malware. Whereas if they had every person bring in their computer to the Apple store, um, obviously that would create like a, a lot bigger support queue mm -hmm. if, you know, this in, this was indeed a widespread problem. Now, this is one of those situations where the malware is installed by someone who downloads something from the internet that says you have a virus and you click download and um, you install it in your computer, and then all of a sudden you start getting porn pop-ups, essentially. You know, this is, I think that they're using this as maybe a test case for a feature patch or something like that, but, you know, it just seems so out of character for a company that, you know, in iPad today, you were talking about, they will sometimes, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, replace an iPad that you personally shattered. Mm -hmm. I, I, it just seems out of character for Apple to just say, oh, well, you know, not only we're we not going to remove your malware, but like we're not even going to tell you it's on there for no reason. You know, I think that they maybe have a reason and we just don't know it yet. HP, Dell, you know, all the other PC manufacturers, they remove malware. They have, I think Microsoft has like a, a number you can call to, uh, you know, report malware and to get help get it removed. Um, so it definitely is a, a departure from the normal take on the situation. But I, I hope that they're, that they're actually have a plan. On top of that, on, on these, this document also says that the the people have to say explain that Apple does not make recommendations for specific software in removing this, so they don't really have like a, a plan for you to follow when something goes wrong. Based on this, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, you know, when I first switched to Mac, how do you remove an application? You're supposed to drag it to the to the trash bin, right? But there's still stuff in your library folders and all kinds of things that 
if there's no uninstaller, you can't remove these things. So they don't have like a system for this just yet. App Zapper though, without specific one, can I? I'll just plug App Zapper. Like, App Zapper. That's how I. That's how I get rid of all of my preference files. So even though they don't have a solution, there are antivirus software on the, in the Mac App Store even. So like you know you can search for malware removal. I'm sure and. There's got to be at least one. So. Yeah, Randall, I, I tend to agree with you that it, it doesn't sound like Apple to just be like, we don't know what to say. Because Apple, I mean, they're known for um, having having too much control over exactly, exactly. how things will be carried out. Um, my guess, and again, it's just a guess, is that, yeah, they probably just, they don't want to give too many customer uh, service representatives any reason to get it wrong, you know, to go off message even a little bit uh, while they try yeah. to figure out how to push out this. Here's the solution. It's the over, it's, you know, it's, it's the one umbrella solution for everybody. You're all the same. And that's part of the reason why they started the Mac yeah, app store, it, right? They're supposed to have this very controlled experience. And you're supposed to be able to uninstall things just like you did on an iOS device. But one of these, uh, a researcher actually found out that the Mac app store isn't updating certain things like Opera. Now, Opera has had two versions since the latest one that's in the App Store. Mm -hmm. they've, they've patched critical flaws since that, that version that's in the, in the Mac App Store. So if you are actually still using Apple's solutions, you could possibly still be running risk of, of having a horrible browser experience. Not a horrible browser experience, but critical flaws sure. in your browser. So I don't really know what they're, what they're going to be doing next. Mm. It, a lot of it's scale, though. I think that, you know, if, if this becomes a big problem, and like the iPhone 4 antenna, like... Was that a big problem? Arguably, yes. Like, arguably, you could say that, you know, holding it wrong, if I hold my phone like this, like, it loses all signal. That just doesn't seem right. I mean, if this becomes a big deal, if a lot of computers get infected, more importantly, if, like, if regular, you know, Channel 4 Eyewitness News starts talking about this, um, I think that Apple will formulate a more coherent response. Right. But you installed think, it wrong. That'll, that'll be <laughs> But I think There's Apple's... I expect Apple to at least come up with some sort of patch or or something to try and fix this ahead of that. I hope they do at least. Yeah, Apple has a has a uh, a bit of a track record for just not saying much until there's enough uh, fear, <laughs> you know, yeah. on, on Channel Four Eyewitness News, for example, or or the bloggers say there's malware. It's a real, and then they go, all right, yeah. fine, let's get Steve out there to say, calm down, everybody. Here's what we're doing. You're doing it wrong. You're it wrong. Here's how yeah, to do exactly. it right with your malware. <laughs> All right, moving on to some good news for Amazon or bad news, depending on whether you like tree books or digital books, because Kindle books have officially taken over print sales at Amazon. And now you might say, well, wait, didn't you guys talk about this before? Well, we did, but that only applied to hardcover books. Mm -hmm. We are now at the point where Kindle books are, are, are outselling all books as far on as the Amazon. on Amazon on, yeah. on Amazon so paperbacks as far as and, physical and, books go right I mean this this seems to just go to the message that Kind uh, Amazon really knows what they're doing with the Kindle right they have their application on every device it seems like you can get it for the Mac for Windows you can get it for the actual Kindle device you can get it for your Android device iOS I mean mm -hmm. I, I don't know what it's not on at this point I guess maybe not on TVs yet for whatever reason mm -hmm. but <laughs> I guess you don't want to read on your TV, but someone does. I, I, I bet. I, <laughs> I, 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 do, out there I do it just to say yeah. I read happen, that book on my it? TV. Yeah, it's probably so good. Amazon's going to get on that too. But people like <laughs> getting their books. I, I know I've read something before where Kindle users are more likely to buy books since they bought the Kindle. They're like seventy percent right. more likely to get another book, right? Because it's incentive. just so easy to get them. They're like it takes yeah. sixty seconds. It's easier than buying a bookcase every six months because you're reading so many books and now you got to exactly. put them somewhere. You got to put together the bookcase, right? And, and it's from IKEA, and you know how hard you lost those the hex are. Key. Exactly. 
I mean, Amazon.com launched in 1995, right? I mean, they were a bookstore. I mean, that's what they started with. They've obviously evolved into much more than that, but that's what Amazon started as. And the fact that they're now selling more Kindle books, I mean, which is their own creation, um, than print books, it's like, I mean, would, would anyone have an incentive? To, to not publish a Kindle version of a book. I guess there there are some independent publishers maybe who just aren't on this train yet, but it's the it's the way to go. Yeah, I know. I hate Oops. it when I'm looking at books and there's, there's no Kindle edition available. It's like, oh, then this book doesn't exist to me. Really? I'm sorry. <laughs> That's how you feel? I'm not going to go buy the book. That's crazy. Seriously. I, I don't think I've bought a hardcover book in forever or a softcover book. I just buy Kindle books on occasion. Um, yeah, I think that Amazon was really smart. I think when they started in 1995, they had the idea of ebooks, similar to how Netflix, when they started, their name is Netflix. Like, obviously, they saw that video would be delivered over the internet at some point. I think Amazon, similarly, knew this was coming. So they've been planning for it for years. And so, you know, this is the inflection point. 2011 is the time where, you know, ebooks are, are taking off. Tablets have really enabled that. And, you know, I just think it's indicative of how smart Amazon is as a company. Yeah, unfortunately, though, that doesn't mean you, you can't like just loan your book. You can loan your books eventually, but you can't just give away your books or anything like that. Once you buy these ebooks, yeah. they're on that Kindle. So unless you're physically handing out your Kindle or giving people <laughs> access to your Kindle account, mm -hmm. it's not the same kind of sharing experience you could have based on old dead tree books. You know, you'd be like, Although, you know, isn't Amazon introducing a bit of a buyback program? We talked about this briefly mm -hmm. earlier in the week. I mean, I wonder if there could be some sort of a, I'm done with this book. I don't need this digital file anymore. Uh, you know, it's almost like an Amazon library of sorts. They put some, they've, they have some of this out there, right? There is actually ways to lend books. The problem is, like, it's up to the publisher whether the book is lendable, right. which means none of them are lendable, you know? So it's similar to how they have text-to-speech on, you know, every Kindle book could have text-to-speech, but none of them do because the publishers like the audiobook rights. So, I mean, some of it is just that old publisher mentality of, oh, well, revenues, 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 not, like, what you're... It, they don't realize the marketing potential and things like that. So I, I think like I would love to get rid of some of the books that I don't read anymore and just give them to my friends who would read them. But you right. know, yeah, it's, know, it's not quite the same as you know tossing somebody a book and then they just pack it in their backpack and go on their merry <laughs> yeah. way. You know, I know I know there's a Kindle sharing where I can loan you a book for 14 days yeah. or something like that, which is I don't put the pressure on you, you to finish it before I, yeah. you know it goes away kind of thing. But I. Hey, uh, digital uh, ebooks are here to stay. That's for sure. Um, so it's it's a pretty amazing uh, that Amazon has actually uh, outdone itself. Uh, Kindle books are replacing all physical books, at least in sales on Amazon. Yeah, crazy. Well, outing. It's outing. Outselling. Yeah. Outselling. Outselling. Not outing. Outselling is that's what I was saying. Something say. different. There's no sailing involved. <laughs> All right, on to some interesting Google news. Eric Schmidt, uh, you know Eric Schmidt. He's a great guy. He was talking at Google's Big Tent conference that was in London yesterday. And uh, when broached on the topic of facial recognition uh, software, which, you know, people have been talking about Google, you know, they know so much. I mean, they've got, they've got uh, pictures of all of our homes and the streets, and, and they know our... They, they know our patterns. Facial recognition, that would be, you know, something that Google would have a lot of interest in, a facial recognition database. Eric said, it's unlikely that Google would build something like this, not because they couldn't. Schmidt says he's surprised by the accuracy of current facial recognition software and finds it very concerning. Yeah, that's odd. Which I find very concerning. Like the last guy who would say that, though. I know. He's the guy who's like, you know, all your data should be on the internet. You should live in public. Like, all this 
stuff. And he's the one who's saying facial recognition is creepy. I actually find facial recognition among the least creepiest things that Google does. Like they do a lot <laughs> of things that they can track all my searches. They know what I'm thinking. They know what I'm thinking more than anyone else in the world. Like right. I just, I just think that is way more creepy than, you know, oh, I was in a public place and they took a picture of my face. Like that to me is less concerning. Yeah, but what's crazier is that there was a patent application that, that made its way public today. It's by Google, and it's titled, quote, Automatically Mining Person uh, Models of Celebrities for Visual Search Applications. And what it really covers is, get this, a computer-implemented method of automatic face recognition. So this is a Google patent about <laughs> face recognition, and uh, it would have a system comprising uh, of, A, a face image database, which mm -hmm. Schmidt said they wouldn't do, but the patent... <laughs> team is doing it anyway, and a name database. So what it would do is they'd find a face and they'd match it with the name, but this is only limited to celebrities. Well, well, okay. So, I mean, what? I don't really get why. Why would it be limited to celebrities? I, because I, they're the only people where we're like, is it really her? They're the only people that have chosen to take the direction of having their face be so publicly right. available. Uh -huh. Got it. Versus you and using like Botox, it's like their face is the same at all times for their entire life. So, <laughs> right. you know, there's changes. Very true. True, because that could put a kink into the technology behind it. Like, not only do I have to recognize your face, but you just grew older by 20 years. Now I've got to figure out how you look now. Good thing yeah. you can't move your eyebrows, so right. I can tell. It is interesting that of all people, Eric Schmidt saying, hey, listen, yeah. I know how good facial recognition <laughs> software is, and believe me, you don't want it. It creeps that is the crap scary out of stuff. Oh, and by cow. the way, we'll patent it. Um, nobody yeah. told me that. Right. Now he's, I don't know how you're going to deal. Like, how is he going to go into the office tomorrow? He's just going to be screaming his head off. I mean, is this something like, that maybe uh, Eric Schmidt was 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 leading the effort of until recently? I mean, obviously, Google has had some reorgs as of late. I mean, is this just something that he may have said because he's not running the show? Or conspiracy well, theory. It's a, it's a huge company. I mean, there's like 20-something thousand employees. Right. The patent arm, I'm sure, is like... 15 nerds in a room who invent things so, so they can be protected against other companies who come out with them with patents. Like to me, I don't know. I mean, a lot of companies patent stuff and then never use it. I don't know why they patented it. I, I, if Eric Schmidt says it's creepy, I don't think Google can do it until Eric Schmidt leaves. Like, I don't think they're allowed nah. to even Larry will like, say, broach the stop. topic. He'll just, he'll sit Eric down in a corner and Larry Page will have a nice discussion with him saying, we're going to be doing this. So it's social. we're doing this now. Yeah. Well, in any case, uh, sounds like a very scary time to be a celebrity. Thank goodness none of us are. That's good. Uh, and now let's do, uh, what, is it not our first or our second? It's second. It's our second edition of By the Numbers. Oh, a bumper. Amazing. Isn't that good? Yeah. That good? Yeah, I set that it's one nice. up like, you know, like butter. Too. Like gangbusters. What is number two, second time? All right, let's run it. <laughs> it was about numbers. You're talking about numbers. It's good. I like that. We're going to talk about Gartner's study. Uh, we, talk, we talk about this a lot. Here we go. Gartner said in a report released today that over 100 million smartphones were sold worldwide during the first quarter of 2011. It found that Android made up 36% of sales of that. So that's 36 million Android phones. Symbian, 27.4%, which is down from, I want to say something over 44.2% mm -hmm. last year at the same time. Wow. Uh, iOS is 16.8%. RIM, 12.9%. Microsoft at 3.6% with only 1.6 million Windows Phone 7 units sold. Which is weird, um, at least for the Windows 7 portion of these numbers, is that compared to uh, first quarter of 2010, uh, it's down from 6.8% to 36 
Well, it might have been carrying older Windows mobile phones, and a lot of those, of course, have, are not in use. And uh, the crazy I guess thing that's to me, true. That's, that Symbian number, that's insane. Like, that is crazy to me. Like, Nokia, obviously, banking on Symbian, no wonder they made that deal with Microsoft, mm -hmm. you know? Like, that's a like 20% drop. That's insane to me. Yeah, it's crazy. iOS is up um, just, you know, a percentage point. Uh, RIM is down. I don't want to bag on RIM because I'm always pointing out that they just keep falling. Android <laughs> is way, way up. That's the duh part of all of this where I always say, duh, Android well, is up. Well, every manufacturer makes the phone. You now have 450 phone. Android phones to choose from. So maybe they're making up a part of the market share. Maybe. Exactly. Maybe. Crazy theories. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Symbian. That's uh, it's it's that that is quite a drop. Um, and Randall, you're right. I guess I guess Windows Phone Seven. I mean, when does when was Windows Phone Seven released? It's like an, it's like less than a year old. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, whatever was in the first quarter of last year. I mean, we're whole, not even talking about Windows Phone. They don't have a whole phones. lot of, of actual handsets out there. They're like T-Mobile's got one. Yeah. Sprint's got two. Verizon just got their first. Oh no, they're going exactly. to on the they're 26th. They're going to right. So they still don't have one. So still. Don't. Yeah, so. the HTC Trophy will be Verizon's entry into Windows Phone Seven territory. Um, they're on AT&T, T-Mobile, they're on Sprint. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's nowhere near the Android market. It's a, it's a cool yeah. OS. It'll catch on once they buy do you Nokia. Do you, do you, you think, you think Windows Phone 7 is gonna, is gonna really spread far and wide? Maybe. Internationally, I think it has a shot with that deal with Nokia. I mean, Nokia's always been big overseas and they've never cared about the US and now they're paying for it. Like they've got a shot with Windows Phone 7 to have a modern OS that I think, I mean, I think all of those Symbian handsets are just going straight to Android. So anyone who leaves Symbian is just going to like the cheapest Android handset available probably in, you know, some other country. So you figure like those, yeah, that's, that to me is Nokia's ace in the hole is having brand recognition overseas more than they do in the US. I really do think that Windows Phone 7 is something else. I mean, it, it doesn't look like Android. It doesn't look like iOS. No. It's, they completely have made up for Windows Mobile 6.5. Being awful. Right. Windows Mobile, all of them were awful. Well, like, the thing not is, even I hadn't used Windows Mobile in like for like since like 2002, and then I tried 6.5, and it was exactly the same. Exactly. And I was just like, well, there's a couple of changes, but it was <laughs> like Pocket PC all over again. It was just I couldn't believe that no progress had been done. But Microsoft really went out of their way to make this thing look different. That tile system is interesting. Yeah. I think I think they do have something different to actually offer the market. Well, and I think they have an approach, right? Like Apple kind of has this specific approach that you could feel, and like it felt really well thought through. Android for better or worse, felt a lot like iOS to me. Windows Phone 7 doesn't at all. Windows Phone 7 feels completely different. And I think that's why Microsoft has a shot. That completely different idea, uh, that's where they should go. And so. I think I think um, that's a great point, and I think they had to. I mean, Android folks and iOS folks want to fight with each other over which version of a similar experience, not the same experience, but in many ways a similar experience is better. You know, you've got we're open on this side or we're prettier on the other side and that kind of thing. And Windows, Microsoft is over in left field saying, how about something new and different? We don't even want to be part of this argument. We just want to, uh, maybe you just, you just like our interface better. Uh, the experience better. All right, with that, we will move on to the news fuse. <laughs> Yesterday, we were telling you how Intel was spouting off at the mouth, saying Microsoft Windows 8 will be available in lots of different editions, but the version for ARM processors aren't going to support legacy apps, so we're better. Microsoft isn't really 
very happy about that and actually issued a statement that says Intel's statements during the Intel investor meeting about Microsoft's plans for the next version of Windows were factually inaccurate and unfortunately misleading. Intel said a lot of things about Windows 8, so we're not sure exactly what is misleading about what they said, but hopefully Microsoft will tell us more soon. Microsoft's kind of ticked there. Yeah. A UK blogger is warning people that old expired domains connected to Google apps could lead to all kinds of security problems. On his blog, Ben Reyes says that old expired domains with Google apps that are picked up by new owners will still have all your data, emails, calendar information all attached to the domain. Considering Google requires proof of URL ownership to establish control of Google apps, any old information left in Google apps should be accessible to a new URL owner. So, of course, that means the lesson here is the sky is falling. Or just don't <laughs> Leave your, your stuff, man. expired your domains. Stuff. Don't let your domains expire. <laughs> right. Ever. If you do that, the world will end and everyone will read your email. Apparently, Microsoft likes giving away Xboxes via a new promotion. If you buy a Windows 7 PC worth $6.99 or higher, you'll get an Xbox 360 arcade system for free. No rebates are even necessary. You'll either need a .edu email address or an online purchase from a student ID. Uh, and you can pick it up at Microsoft as well as Best Buy. The promo runs from May 22nd until September 3rd in the U.S. first, and France and Canada will join the fun later. The European, European rather, not your opinion, although they do have opinions. Have opinion. The European Union sure. issued a non-binding opinion that says user location data is private. That's what it is. The EU also called for users of devices like smartphones to be given clear, comprehensive, and understandable information about how long location data is processed. Even though the opinion is non-binding, it could potentially lead to sanctions. So, Apple and Google, watch it. You watch, know, watch yourself. It's watch your back. It's an exciting day today. You know why it's exciting? Why? Because the Linux kernel has been updated. That's right. <laughs> what are you laughing about? It's version 2.6.39, which brings lots of drivers we're talking about Hundreds here, hundreds of drivers, which means Linux will be able to run e on even more hardware. The support for things like AMD's Cayman graphics cards, Broadcom chips, NVIDIA GPUs, and plenty more. I'm laughing because I'm, I'm, I'm drunk with power, all the power that I'll have with this Linux update. Run a lot of things. Nice. Master Objects is suing Microsoft over a patent related to Instant Search. If you're unfamiliar with Instant Search, it's when you get results as you type in the search box. Master Objects has already sued both Amazon and Google over the same patent. In semi-paradoxical news, a very public face and pseudo-spokesman of Anonymous, the group, has left the group. The spokesman for the, for the <laughs> group? Barrett Brown has made many appearances on TV speaking on behalf of the very anonymous group, but he's quitting Anonymous because of the lack of quality control. He was more interested in the group when it was you know, assisting North African revolutions, say, but less interested in things like Opsoni. That's odd. Anonymous spokesperson. Got anonymous, it. Okay. a spokesperson for Anonymous, who okay. is not Anonymous, is quitting Anonymous. Just, that was the TSI Anonymously. Yeah. Rockstars received, received reports, can't talk today. Rockstars received mm -hmm. reports from some, that some PS3s are overheating while playing L.A. Noir. Apparently older 60 gigabyte and 80 gigabyte PS3 models are suffering the most. They're beeping and turning themselves off when you're trying to play the game. So what caused this? Uh, Rockstar and Sony's official joint statement, quote, at this time, Rockstar Games and Sony can confirm that neither LA Noir or firmware's update 3.6.1 are causing the PS3 hardware to overheat, which probably means it's probably the it sucks to be you. That's what it really means. It's just because it's such a hot game, you know? <laughs> wow, snow. it's heating up the marketplace. It's so hot right now. It's really hot in LA. Uh, actually, everyone seems to really like the game so far, so hopefully they'll yep. get that fixed pretty soon. Uh, and finally, 
Ayaz, you want to take this one? Because I don't know sure. what is going let's on. Let's run the video. Heroes. We've got a kicker. I'm and so it's, excited about this. This is the remote-controlled superhero. Now, this is effectively <laughs> just pretty much a remote-controlled uh, <laughs> airplane in the shape of a human being, okay? That's so uh, what you're seeing is an RC man <laughs> flying. Now, what's <laughs> odd about this is that... What's odd about this is it, it's not an what's Iron Man. Odd about, what isn't odd about this? Yeah, exactly. Well, how it's does it not have merchandise? person. How is it not it's merchandised crazy. with, with uh, either Iron Man or Green Lantern or Superman on it? It's just a random flying person. It, this looks like a helium balloon, you know, <laughs> that, like, actually isn't tied, and you just let go. Well, they, it's like, They show this thing take off pretty well. They've got some good control over this. It looks like, it looks amazing. You're going to see some really confused people. I, sick, I, sick. I, I love, so are you, cool. can you imagine? He's just like, let's just fly him over Petaluma and just see what happens. $300. It's like dirt cheap. It's amazing. No, that's amazing. So we can have a so whole you, army of them. That's going to be the next marketing thing. You know it. Like, I mean, even past movies, there's just going to be like a flying guy for the milk association or something. And you love, like, <laughs> random, <laughs> random people this is just a like, new airplane banner. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're going to be out on the beach enjoying the suntan. You open your eyes and you'll see some uh, Michelin one, man. Those superheroes, they're yeah. so <laughs> distracting. You can fly in a formation. That's what they'll do. It'll be a giant flying logo. Yeah. He's got uh, purple yeah. socks on. Uh, have we not talked I, about I that think, yet? Yes, there's a light. The, there's a light yeah. at the bottom of the feet so you can actually see what's going on that, there. That's just, good, oh, I, that's just that. good stuff. I, I don't know what to make of it, but it's cool. Well, that's yep, for sure. So we go to the calendar? Yes, let's let's uh, move on to the calendar, shall we? You'll love this first one. Playboy's archives are hitting the iPad today, so you can look at old Playboy articles, and then you'll say, but I only do that because the articles are so good. I know your game. They'll cost you $8 a month, but if you're, you know, if you're into the Playboy archive now, it's available for iPad. Xbox 360's spring dashboard update goes live today. This one will give uh, consoles the ability to read higher capacity disks and provide support for PayPal to buy points and subscriptions. So that's handy. Version Mobile is offering a new broadband plan in the U.S. For 20 bucks, you'll get 500 megabytes, which is good for 30 days. It's the rapture on uh, Saturday, actually. Okay. Uh, so this is, uh, of course, you know, the, that's the end. Okay. Um, we've got a couple days. Liquid Friday, thank you. Thankfully, uh, we get that in before the end. But that's on Saturday, so prepare to go to heaven. I know we all will. Um, if for any reason you don't go to heaven and you're still around on Sunday, uh, it'd be a good day for brunch. Um, or maybe um, if you're in the upstate New York area, uh, Ithaca College's uh, commencement that's is an on idea. Sunday. Right after the rapture, go to mm -hmm. college. Yes, yeah, so you could just swing by there. Um, and then if you're still alive on May 24th, the PlayStation Store will return to PSN. So, uh, I mean, if for any What's reason... What's more likely to happen? We, we should have, we should have known down. when PSN went down that this was the beginning of the end. <laughs> it's great. I'm actually... It I was mean, foretold, wasn't it? A part oh of me is God. like, why Why do we... It's just... I don't know. If it, for anybody who thinks that Saturday is the last day, it was super fun knowing you, and we'll just have to see, I guess. I'll save right? it all for Sunday. Yeah. Finally, uh, let's move on to emails. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of suggestions for our segment after the news fuse, and one of the most most popular ones has been, and now for something completely different, which is obviously based on Monty Python. So just wanted to throw that out there. <clears throat> does, hmm. does that seem like us? And now for something completely different? It it's might not be usually a, completely that, different. Might, yeah, it's sort it's sort of it's really. Like we start talking now about for cakes. something marginally different. 
Now for a flying superhero with purple socks. Tangentially related. Right. (laughs) Dino Might. What was it? Dino Light. Dino Light. Yeah. Well, thank you for all the suggestions. They're just getting weirder. Uh, Next email from Lindsay says, hi, guys. Love the show. Listening right now to the talk about the Hulu for magazines on Android. You were speculating why it was only available through the Vcast Android market. The reason is very likely because Vcast supports auto-renew subscription billing and Android market does not have any type of subscription billing support, at least not yet. Uh, Randall, what do you think? Do you think, Lindsay, uh, it's just a matter of uh, rolling out and and this is the first place it it has? Most likely. I mean, that would be the one case where someone actually uses Vcast, right? Yeah, exactly. That's just a nightmare of a service. But, you know, I guess if it fills one little hole so that people can... You know, use the the magazines on Android. Go for it. Uh, yeah. f- finally, before we wrap up this wonderful uh, Thursday edition of TNT, we want to remind you that we're doing a fundraiser for the new Twit Studio. We've talked about it a lot. It's just this it's this really cool place right down the street. We're in the middle of, um, of building it right now. If you go to bricks.twit.tv, you have the opportunity to... Um, to help our cause and to buy yourself a brick where, um, where you know, it's it's an official twit brick. Yeah, you can have your message engraved there. It'll be there when people yeah. show up to the reception area. They'll be like, hey, look at that. That's my brick. Yeah, you just you want to build add your twit name studios. Or, or a special message. Or, or even or, a logo. Or a logo or some sort of a like a weird URL to promote. I mean, anything you want, really. We just, uh, we'd love your support. And that's the way that um, we figured out it would be a really fun way for you guys to support us and feel like you actually have... You, you actually helped us build brick by brick and be able to uh, have your name. That uh, URL, again, is bricks.twit.tv. Randall Bennett, thanks so much for joining us again. Tell uh, tell everybody uh, about your new project on the horizon. Yeah, so Vidpresso, it's launching on Monday. I hesitate to say that because there's still so much work, but it's a way of syncing videos with slides. So if you do a presentation, uh, you can actually sync the slides to the video and you don't have to you know shoot the screen or try anything crazy like that. If you want to try it, I have a secret for TNT viewers. Vidpresso.com slash TNT. That gets you on the super velvet rope access list. So we'll hook you up and uh, we'll launch in private beta on Monday. So yeah, hopefully you guys can check it out. Give me feedback because it's it's really rough right now. So help me out. Well, it sounds (laughs) awesome. TNT viewers and listeners, you know what to do. Go to vidpresso.com slash TNT and help. Randall, work it out. Sounds like an awesome awesome, uh, service. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks to all of you for being here. If you want to call into the show, 260-TNT-SHOW's the number. And write us an email at tnt at twit.tv. See you guys tomorrow for Liquid Friday. Oh, yeah. And I as is drinking. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's that's the announcement. Kind of gone into like this weird Frankenstein dance. You okay, know, it's like, yeah, you need to do this. <laughs> I think that's more, I think what you would do is more like the. <laughs> <laughs>